Well, good morning. We're grateful that you're here today. Today, I want to tell you a story, and it'll help shape and frame the message today. And it's going to take a few minutes to get there. It's a chronicle of a young leader's life. There's a young man who becomes a leader in his late teens. He's not 19 yet, and he becomes a leader of a nation. And he becomes that leader because of what his father did, how his father established his life and the way that he served and loved God. And one day, this new leader came and brought the north and the south together to uh, celebrate his new kingship. And that day, they met and he went to this place. It was a tent and they called it the tent meeting. And he went and brought a thousand burnt offerings before God. And that's the chronicle and that's the beginning of this story. And that night after he brought a thousand burnt offerings to God, God showed himself. In Second Chronicles, your, your notes might be wrong. I have it First Chronicles. In Second Chronicles, I sent my notes backwards. But in Second Chronicles, there's the story of this man encountering God, having a direct communication with God. And God responds. Here's what it says. That night, God appeared to Solomon, our young leader, and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Man, I never get that. <laughs> Solomon answers, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and you have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promises to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Here, as, the, as, as God is communicating, this young leader, probably too stupid to realize that he's asking for something awesome. Sometimes our youth is a good thing. And he asks for wisdom because I don't really know what I'm doing. And that wisdom blesses and changes his life forever. Here's how God responds. And God is excited about this. God said to Solomon, since your heart, that said, this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And when we pray correctly, there's more. It's like the bonus round now. And I will also give you wealth and possessions and honors such that no king who was before you has ever had and none after you will ever have. At this point in this young leader's life, he has prayed, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. And because of that, he goes, I need wisdom. I need knowledge so that I can move and, and lead your people in a very powerful way. Is that you? Or are you self-willing it? Or better yet, looking on social media for advice. Great idea. So here's what happens. Second Chronicles chapter 2. So if you look from Second Chronicles 1 to 7, there's a 20-year span. It's a chronicle of this young leader's life. In the second chapter, what Solomon does is he starts the preparation to make a building. A palace and a temple for God. He makes this building and he starts ordering lumber. If you've ever done any construction, you got to get lumber and nails and, and whatever else they do. I'm not a construction guy. And then he gets the workers, 
So in chapter 2, he does the preparation. In chapter 3, he gets these beautiful plans from God. These articulate, detailed plans. And in chapter 4, after the temple's built, and it's been about seven years, he starts to furnish it. He starts to put the things that God wants to put inside it. In chapter 5, the pièce de résistance, the, the cream of the crop starts to come in, and that is the, holy, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. I was going to say Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I, that's, that's good theology right there. The covenant comes in, and it's the final piece. It's the last thing that they do. They bring the ark in, and here's what happens. They're worshiping like we were. We were singing songs and worshiping and hearing God, and, and, and all of a sudden, after the ark's laid in place, and the worship team is singing, and there's trumpeters, and uh, there's, there's harps, and everybody's singing. They're singing this, this word, 2 Chronicles 5, 14, it says, He is good and his love endures forever. And then, a temple of the Lord, and then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple of God. As they brought the Ark of the Covenant, this box that was the, the prized box of all of Israel with the Ten Commandments in, a, in it, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. And great things happen. Strong and powerful things occur because of that. The Holy Spirit is so thick, they can't even move or do anything. It continues in chapter 6. Solomon decides that I am going to dedicate the temple and I'm going to bless the people. So he turns to the people and holds up his hand. And he gives a blessing to all that have come. And they're coming to this festival called the Festival of Shelters that happened in October. Right about the same time today. And then he turns to the temple and he dedicates the temple. He says, Lord, there's no God like you on heaven and earth. You're amazing. He starts praying and praying, asking God to move and that this is going to be your home and you're going to dwell. And this is a place that people are going to know that you are all powerful and mighty. And at the end of chapter 6, here's what he says. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, the Lord of God, be clothed in salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in goodness. Lord, do not reject the anointed one. Remember the great love you have promised to your servant David. And as he is finishing this prayer, he's saying, God, your love is strong. It's, it lasts forever. You endure great and mighty things. Here's what happened. Second Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, a fire came down from heaven and consumed up all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because of the glory of the Lord had, uh, had already filled it. And when the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, he knelt on, they knelt on pavement and their, and their faces were on the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks, saying, he is good and his love endures forever. This is the chronicle of what it looks like for a young man to go through a journey communicating with God and then realizing all that God has. We need to have this story because it sets us up for where our scripture is going to be today as we talk about prayer. We're going through this series called I Don't Get It. There's all kinds of things in theology that we just don't get. Last week we talked about, last week we talked about sin and how sin cripples us. Are we a sinner or a saint? Which one are we? If you don't know, you should listen to the podcast. 
The week before, we talked about the Old Testament. We're reading out of the Old Testament. How does the Old Testament work for a person living in 2017? Does it even make sense? Isn't that the Old Covenant? I don't get it. We're going through this series trying to understand there's a lot of things that we don't get. But God wants us to, if we don't get something in our life, God wants us to be a, a, a person that says, I'm not going to stop at places I don't get. I'm going to move forward and closer to who you are, God. A lot of times we get to a place where we're stuck and I just don't get it. And what we do is we quit. That's how I was in college. And we do that in our theology. I just don't get it. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I don't understand. And we quit and we stop communicating with God. God wants us to communicate. This story shows us that man communicates with God and God communicates with man. And he wants us in this beautiful communication. He wants to, us to communicate with our actions and, and our heart and the way that we serve and our morals and values. But really, he wants you to have a communication from your heart to his heart, from your mouth to his mouth, with your soul to his soul. That's what he's trying to do. He wants us to communicate. I don't know about you, but when I pray to God, the fire never shows up. Or the cloud never comes into my little prayer closet. Or I never get the angels that come in and say, Jeff, what are you doing today? But God does answer my prayers. And if he's answering my prayers, because I'm a knucklehead, he's definitely going to answer this beautiful crowd's prayers. God wants to communicate, and it's a key tool for us to communicate. You know, long ago, God made all of us. At some point, God made all of us. I was at a conference. I actually won't tell the story because it was really inappropriate, but it was for pastors so we could handle it because we're so mature, right? This guy told this story of how he, uh, I'm not going to say it. Anyways, we were made long ago. Psalm 119 says, your hand made me and formed me and gave me understanding to learn your commands. God shaped you long ago. He knew who you were going to be. And he says, I'm going to make you in my image and I'm going to mold you. And I'm going to give you, if you're open and understanding, to learn more about who I am. Not Jeff, but God. He made you and he wants you to know more about who he is. So today we're going to use this story. I think 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 to 15 is really where God wants to uh, use today's message. So if you're able to stand, please stand. If not, just open up your hearts. Let's get ready to hear from God. It's going to be a blessing today. And at the end, a great story about how God answers prayers. So let's just open up our Bibles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace... And had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do with the temple of the Lord in his own palace. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayers and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, to the land and send plagues among my people, here's what you should do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will, hear from the, I will hear from them from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear their, they will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayers that have been offered in this place. I have chosen to consecrate this temple so that my name may be here, be, be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. That's what we want here in the church, not journey the church, but the church overall. You know, our church several months ago, January 1, 
The first weekend of January, we broke up the church in three areas, and we want you to be in a place of communicating with God about these three areas regularly. Salvation over here, we call this Team Salvation. They're praying for salvation to come, not just to our church, but all across this great world. This is team revelation that God would speak directly to us as an individual. And so they're praying for God to show himself. And this is my team. I used to sit in salvation, but I moved because this is team transformation. This is where all the glory happens. And there's going to be a great transformative story at the end of the message today that's going to basically, we're all going to cry. So let's just go there. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, let today be a day of power and glory. Let us come to the throne room and watch you move inside of us. You will take us young and old and bring us so close, Lord, that we will feel your breath upon us and that we will feel you. Father, we commit this time to you and ask me to move. Let us not be afraid. Let us open ourselves up in our soul. So that you will minister in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, one time I did a wedding. And I forgot to tell people to seat. And they sat up for like 30 minutes. They stood up. So I got big notes in my weddings today. Hey, make sure you sit them down. Because we sometimes get so excited. So the, today we're talking about communication. If you are not communicating to your spouse or your relationship, your boyfriend and girlfriend, your relationship sucks. Can you say that in church? If you are not communicating to someone, if you have a best friend and you never talk to them, bad relationship. They're waiting for you to call. You're waiting for them to call. There's no communication. If you're in a relationship with God and you're only ask, 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 Ask. Your relationship is very one-sided. If you're talking too much, how can you hear the voice of God? There's a moment where Solomon hears the voice of God, says a prayer, and then receives from God. When I talk too much and I'm a talker, I don't hear what God's trying to say. A good relationship is having great communication. Me and my wife got married several years ago, and we both like to talk one-on-one with other couples or other people, and she'll nudge me and I'll nudge me. It's my turn. It's my turn. Give me some airtime. I'm dead serious. Still happens today. We haven't figured it out yet. That's how God is with me. He's like, shut up, dude. I want to tell you some great things, and today... We're going to hear some great things that God does in our life. The first thing that we hear in chapter 13 is God hears all of our prayers. Do you know that God hears your prayers? Even if they're lame. Even if they're self-serving and they have no business praying to God, I need a Maserati or Lamborghini so I look cool in high school. Everybody's going to love me if I drive that. That's a, honestly, that's, I mean, it's a cool prayer. But if you're going to get it, I should get it. We have these prayers, but even if our prayers are self-serving and selfish, God still hears them. He's probably going to say, no Lamborghini. But he does want to hear the prayers like Solomon. His heart's desire was to serve God and think of his kingdom first. He wants to think of things that God is pleased about. uh, 13 says, I have heard your prayers and I've chosen this place 
as a, a place where my temple will, will receive your sacrifices. Is that you? Are, you? are you a place where you can be a temple to sacrifice stuff to God? Psalm 66, 19 says, God hears all prayers. So pray it up, even if they're dumb. Pray it up. But realize the next verse in 1 John 14 says, and we are confident that when he hears us, that he hears us whenever we ask for things that please him, or the, another translation are things that are in his will. He wants to answer stuff that's in his will. And as we grow as mature Christians and are communicating with God, we start praying about things that he's involved with. As, as we're young Christians, we're like praying for certain things, pay my, pay my mortgage or rent and all that stuff is good. As we get older, Lord, bless me so that I always have provision to give to you and to give to the people. It's different. It's a, it's a form of maturity. Even when the mortgage and rent's not being paid, you're thanking God for the, the, the mortgages in the months before. Not sour about what's going on right now. God wants us to pray. So how do we pray? Here's three ways that we can pray. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's things that we pray. Number one, the first way that we pray is we thank him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We thank him and we worship him. Father, you are worthy to be praised. Every word ever spoken, hallelujah. Every song ever sang, hallelujah. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. I know I'm going through a tough time, Father, but thank you for the days and the life that I've lived up to this point. The first way that we pray is we give him thanks and praise. And that's a sign of maturity. Trust me, I know there's a lot of people struggling in here, but that doesn't mean we don't thank God. When I first moved into Camarillo, first five or six years, I used to say, thank you, Lord. I'm going through a tough moment in my life. And I would say, thank you, Lord, for just getting me to this point. I might not make it tomorrow, but I'm thankful I just got to this point in my life. First part of praying is thanking him. The second part is seeking him. When's the last time you sought out Jesus and his face? Seek him. When's the last time you said, Father, I want to see exactly what you look like? And I'm not talking about the creepy Google picture. I'm talking about face to face, his face, your face, your heart, his heart. And he's really sitting there and you could see him and all the things that are going on and going, God, I'm blown away. When's the last time you sought him out? The only time we seek him out is when the red lights are flashing. Jesus, if I will serve you for the rest of my life. Just let him fly by me this one time. He never flew by me. So I don't know if that prayer really works, by the way. It never worked for me. <laughs> The last part is to ask him. He wants you to ask. I don't know about you. Whatever your father was like, he wants you to ask. God's not like our human father. You might have the greatest human father in the history of the world, and there's some great dads out here, but God's still better than that. And you might have the crappiest dad. God's way better than that. He wants you to ask. Matthew 7, 7, ask, seek, and knock. He wants you to ask. And if you ask, God does great things. We've been asking all year. Revelation, transformation, salvation. We're asking for God to do things in this community, not to grow our church. God's going to grow this if he wants to. 
there's only going to be 10, we'll minister to 10. There's going to be 20,000, we'll do that too. Whatever God wants, we ask, and we want that for the kingdom. Here's what it says, and this is really the verse that we came here for. If my people, if my people who are called by my name, those that say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, those that have faith in God above, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's looking up at God, maybe down on your knees, will humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then the Bible says that I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And thank God Almighty, he will heal the land around me. This land needs healing. And so we need to go back and figure out how the land could get healed. We need a bunch of people humbling ourselves, humbling, asking for God's face, getting on our hands and knees and saying, Lord, forgive me of what I'm saying and thinking. And not worrying about what everybody else is posting. We all have a voice. Today, we all have a voice. You got social media, praise God, you got a voice. Some have four followers, some have 400, some have four million. And now you've got a voice, you've got an opinion and a preference. All is important, but not more important than God. And because of that, we're not humble anymore. And now our land is sick with Tons of people with all kinds of opinions and preferences. And all he says is, I want you to focus on me, the one and true God, and my word. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. When's the last time he has exalted you? When's the last time he's lifted you up? Humble yourself. Get on your knees. Seek him face to face. And he will exalt you. Get in a place where you can communicate with God. And let him exalt you. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading this is how come God doesn't use the fire and the cloud anymore? If there was a cloud billowing out of here today, the fire department would be here. God, that would be awesome. We'd preach the gospel to them. If there was fire coming out, the fire department and the police department would be here. And all of us would be on our hands and knees because if God showed up that way, it's scary. These guys are falling on their hands and knees and they're on the ground because they're so afraid of what God is doing. He has a different way to communicate. He wants to communicate inside of you. In this story, there's temple plans. Here's our plan. And in this story, there's a temple. I'm the temple. This is the temple, and God has created me through Jesus Christ to be a new temple. Created so that the Holy Spirit can have a billow of smoke and flame inside of me. So that I can be a soul on fire. We sang that. Our worship pastor sang that beautifully, right? This story tells us that there's a temple and there's plans. We have plans that comes from the God. And beautiful thing about it is the temple plans are in here as well. The real temple plans. But there's also a place that says God wants to create you as a temple. Don't believe me. Trust me. I need to have fact check. Uh, two scriptural errors that I put on. First Chronicles is actually Second Chronicles. And then uh, one of my points in a few minutes is Psalm 141. So you got to fact check. But here's what it says. First Corinthians 619. And I did check this. So this is right. It says, do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You, are not, you do not belong to yourself. This really isn't your life. 
You're using it and you're stealing time from God and you're walking and doing things that you probably shouldn't be doing. This really isn't your life. And those that understand that start to live a different life in the rules by God and in God's will. And your life starts to become a blessing because you're following God's will. Verse 15 says, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be here forever. And my eyes and my heart will always be there. God has that same concept to us through Jesus Christ. I am a temple. And his eyes and his ears and his heart is with me face to face. Monday through Friday. Saturday all the way through Sunday. He's with us. Do you believe that? This story shows us in Chronicles that there's a big God that does big and marvelous and wonderful things. I believe in a big God that's done great things in my life, even when I haven't done great things. I want you to think about the big prayers that you're almost ready to give up on and realize he moves mightily in prayer. And it might take a couple of months couple of years. It might take a couple of decades to get to that place. But I promise you, we have a big God that loves us and wants to move in very powerful ways. If you humble yourself, he will hear you and he will heal the land. And if you pray about his will, he wants to bless you in his will. Does that make sense? You know, when I was learning uh, the Bible several years ago, there was four prayers that needed to be, that could be answered anytime you ask. And I want to make sure we get there, and then I want to close with a really powerful story. So I want to spend a few moments. These are prayers that you can ask anytime with God. Communicate these to God, and he will respond. If you do it all day long, he will respond all day long. Here's the first one. He wants to sanctify you. That means clean you up. You come in from the daily life and you're all dirty and you got stuff all over you. He wants to dip you in his holy love and his holy grace and he wants to sanctify you, set you apart. Psalm 141 tells us. It says 140 in your thing. It's actually 141. Here's what it says. Oh, Lord, I am calling you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry for your help. I'm in trouble, Lord, and I want you to sanctify me and I want you to heal me. If you go to verse 3, it says this. Take control of what I say, O Lord. Guard my lips. Let my thumbs quit typing this. Take control and sanctify me, Lord, because what I'm saying is not really what I'm feeling. And it's going to cause me damage if I send this out. Control me, sanctify me, and cleanse me. And finally, verse 8, I look to you for help, O Lord. You are my refuge. Lord, take me under your wing and hide me so that people can only see you and not me because I'm scared. Psalm 141 is a psalm of sanctification. Read it all and you will see that this is a prayer that he wants to answer every time you ask. The second one is wisdom. We see in Second Chronicles that he wants to give wisdom to man, women, and child. He wants you to live in wisdom. His wisdom. And here's what it says, James 5.15, or 1.5. It says, if you, ask, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. And the funny thing, they add this, and he will not rebuke you. Jeff, you keep asking for wisdom. You idiot. That's not what he says. It says he's not going to rebuke me. He's actually going to celebrate. Finally, Jeff, you got it. You've been asking me. It's 11.30 or 12, and you've asked me 15 times today. 
It took you 15 years to ask that first time. And now you're in a rhythm. God's wisdom wants to be blessed and given to all of us. The third thing is grace. God wants to give you grace. It sounds like there's just a grace fairy of God out there, and it's unlimited. It's out there. You can receive it, just grab it and take it and steal it and, and, and use it for all God's glory. And it says this, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God, and there you will receive his mercy, which you don't deserve, and you will find grace to help you when you need it the most. God is out there to give you grace, even if you don't deserve it and when you need it the most. And I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. I'm trying to be a saint, but I need his grace to connect me to that next place. Does that make sense? And finally, peace. You know, when you're going through tough times, and we, see, we hear this from church all the time. When you're going through tough times, the God of the universe will give you peace that transcends all understanding. So What? But when you really make it part of your life and you really humble yourself and you're really on your face going, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've made huge mistakes in my life. I don't understand why I'm in this place. When you ask for God's peace and you really want it, it says that you will receive it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him when you're done. Father, this is what I need. And if you even think that's a worthy prayer, thank you for that. And if it's a wrong prayer, tell me what I should pray. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand as human beings. Our minds are limited, and God's mind is humongous. And, it, and it's a way, and it says his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Do you live in Christ? Several years ago, I had a bunch of calamities in my life. I made a mess of my life. And uh, I got locked up, and I'm going to read a letter, and I'll tell you all that. But I made a prayer, and the prayer was this, that my daughter would see, if she couldn't see the good in me, that she would see Jesus in me. So this summer, me and my family got to go on a bunch of uh, family vacations. And listen, when your family spends a lot of time together, there's a lot of healing that happens because you're stuck with each other. So if you need some healing, you should probably lock yourself in a room and get, get it over with. My family was together about a month traveling and went on missions trips and had this great time. And there was this moment where me and one of my daughters had this great moment of forgiveness. She just, my daughter forgave me for all my stuff. And she, she was telling me some stuff. And it just felt like this was an anointing on me. And I was just so thankful. And then we went to Mexico on a missions trip. And we felt God just do great things with our family. And there's all kinds of forgiveness. And I thought it was the greatest thing that I've ever seen in my life. And then... Uh, one Wednesday night, I came home, and one of my daughters said, hey, do you want to see this letter that uh, my daughter Alyssa wrote? And it's an admission letter <sighs> to college. I got two girls that are getting ready to go to college, and they both wrote letters, one about the church and the other letter about how she saw me as a dad. I'm going to read a little bit of this, but I'm going to paraphrase some, but I'll be honest with you. It's not the best letter I've ever had in my life. It's taken me two weeks to read it again. It was so hurtful. The second time my daughter read it, I had to leave. But God answers prayers, and I hope you see that at the end. 
This is my, do- my, my daughter's letter to college. When I was a young girl, I watched my father get handcuffed and thrown in the back of a police car. I was very young, less than two, and I remember it quite vividly. His face as he drove away, and that was the last time I saw my dad for a while. Since my father wasn't there and he wasn't going to be there for a while, I was raised pretty much by a single mom with a few other guys in between, all that treated her pretty badly. For a long time, she says, I resented my dad. We don't realize what we do. This girl's remembering stuff at three, four, and five years old. She continues to write, at some point when my dad got out, he moved to Camarillo six hours away from me, and I felt abandoned, rejected. A couple of years later, he married this girl named Elizabeth and got two daughters with the package deal. One of the daughters was the same age as I was, and her name was the same name that I had. I have two Alyssas in my life. Same age, same grade. And she goes, that hurt me so deeply. She saw us. She would come, and she would act like everything was good. But she was struggling. So she writes this college letter. I'm struggling with my dad because he abandoned me and he left me. Even though my dad was a pastor to church now and he said his heart has changed. She goes, I didn't believe it. And she's like seven at this time saying, I don't believe my dad. When I look at him, all I saw was a man driving the way in the back of a police car, abandoning me and my life that we were going to have together. That's what God is doing with this girl. Sorry. So my daughter's basically writing to this college saying, my dad's abandoned me. Then she talks about her relationship. Our our family was really just Christian and uh, Christmas and Easter kind of Christians. They'd go four or five times a year. Jesus wasn't a big part of her household being raised up. Then she writes, the thought of Jesus never really crossed her mind until one summer when my dad, me, made her go down to a trip in Mexico. She was reluctant. She said yes, and we went because she was curious about is this Jesus real? She, in the depths of her heart, she was wondering, is this Jesus a real thing or is my dad just full of crap? Did, my, did the man who chose drugs and alcohol over me actually change to someone good? She writes, I need to know. For some reason, every part of me needed to know. So we went to a mission trip when she was nine years old. We had the greatest week, the first week we'd ever been together by ourselves, together, just me and her, in a foreign country, and had a blast. We served, we laughed, we ate tons of tacos. She drove a car that she wasn't supposed to drive. My sister-in-law, thanks. She's only nine, by the way, you remember that? And anyways, long story short, because I know we're going to get to the end of this, I'll read the second half. I was asked to speak at a church in front of a big crowd of people and there was only three people that spoke English. Me and my sister translating and my daughter. Everybody else spoke Spanish. I'm speaking in English and everybody else is speaking in Spanish. So all I could do is look at my daughter and tell her my story. And this is what she writes. This was the first time I ever heard his full testimony. And I made sure that I listened to every word Once he got to the part about me and my mom, I felt this pain inside of me, inside of my chest. I didn't want him to talk about these people and about things that was sore for me to even think about. 
but watching this stranger, this man that I don't really know, get up there and cry about how badly he messed up with me. I don't know. It felt like a little piece of me felt better. He recognized how badly he, he went wrong, and he talked about Jesus' forgiveness, and he doesn't deserve it at all. And she writes, I completely agreed with that. But he got it anyways. And I watched him cry on stage and talk about forgiveness and love and his new purpose. And for the first time in my life, I started to believe in who my dad was. When he came over and hugged me and prayed for my heart to forgive him, I actually felt like I could forgive him. Even though a lot of hurt was still there, I realized I wanted to give him a chance. So I started to believe in him that day. And since that day, I've learned a lot of things about myself and my life in general. I learned that if Jesus can change the most selfish and flawed man that I've ever known into someone who I actually can believe in, then undoubtedly Jesus Christ is alive and real. If he can take my broken father and change him into a strong, good man, then I need that kind of Jesus in my life. And if he could take the image of an almost stranger driving away in the back of a police car and transform him into the image of my dad worshiping at the foot of the cross, I need that kind of Jesus. Here's the last part. Some people say miracles aren't real and that religion's dead, but all I know is that my dad's transformation is a miracle and Jesus is alive more than I've ever seen in life. We don't realize how much we impact our kids and what their life is and how we engage them. The truth is, I thought even this summer that our relationship was good, but she has pain. You have pain. But the Father in heaven wants to make Jesus part of your ever, uh, your most important part of your being. So that all people could ever see all your flaws, all your hangups, all your issues, Jesus comes forward. And all you've got to do is communicate in a humble place. Lord, I'm on my knees and I need you to heal the land and the things around me. And I need to get before God. In a jail cell, I remember in a stinky cell with pee all over the floor praying that prayer. Because I'm willing to get on my hands and knees and in the face of life's crap so that God can be glorified. Honestly, this is not my favorite letter. But God shows himself through Jesus Christ. And if Jesus gets the glory, then we give Jesus the glory. Amen? My letter would have been completely different. But that's not my feelings. But the end game is that Jesus shows himself through all our brokenness. If you surrender yourself to God and you open your heart up to him, he wants to exalt you, and he wants to hear you, maybe for the first time from a deep place inside of you. Do you believe that? The Apostle Peter writes this, and I'll close with this. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, at the perfect time, when God needs to do the greatest thing in your life, after I thought I did all kinds of healing, at just the right time, I get this letter, and it might be the most painful thing I've ever read. But it's the most awesome thing that I'm going to put on my mirror every day and live for Jesus. Because if I can show Jesus, God can do great things in any one of us. Amen.
If you want that Jesus today, he's here. And we're going to celebrate and we're going to sing him. If you want to humble yourself finally, or maybe for another time, or the 30th time, he's here. And he's opened arms saying, I want you. Please come into my life so that I can bless you and show myself through you. If that's you today, he's available. You just bow your heads and let's pray. Father, thank you for all the brokenness in here. Thank you that in all brokenness, you show yourself, Lord. And I pray right now as someone that needs a Jesus that will transcend and change everything about them, that they invite Jesus into their heart. Maybe you've said it again or before and you need to say it again. Today's the day or maybe you've never said it at all. I want you to invite Jesus into your life. If that's you today, will you repeat after me? Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Savior forever. The Bible says you died and rose again for my everlasting life. I believe that. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Saviors. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Let that cloud come over me right now so that I can walk all the ways of my life with you. Show Jesus through all my actions. We love you, Lord, and we praise this above all other names. Amen.